Let's pray and then read the text that's before us. Father, help us. Help us to have ears to hear. Father, help us to have eyes to see. But Father, as Paul has made adamant in this, may our hearts be open wide. Father, let it be your glory that is seen. Father, let none of us touch that glory. And Father, let us rest full weight upon the amazing things that you have done to your glory. And Father, let us rest full weight on what you shall do to your glory. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the amazing things that you have shown me. And Father, I pray that each of us will look and see the hand of an awesome God moving moment by moment in each of our lives. Help us, Father, to have ears to hear. To you and you alone, in Christ's name, amen. Chapter 6, verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affections. Now, in like exchange, I speak as to children open wide to us also. Chapter 7. Verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've took advantage of no one. I do not speak to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts. To die together and to live together. Great is my confidence in you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort and I am overflowing with joy in our afflictions. Now I shared with you when we got into this book, Second uh, Corinthians, that it's ministry. Okay, and part of what ministry is 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 a conflict. You are taking the holy perspective of God into an unholy place. Okay, everywhere you walk, it's there. Now I want you to understand something. If you're a Christian today, you are a minister. Uh, We have corrupted that into the fact that what we do is that we hire ministers. And if we get enough people in the pews, then I'll get me a whole bunch of ministers. Uh, That is self-serving. That's all that that is. And what I try to express to people is, is that if you're saved, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ right now. Okay, now, once you step into that arena and you've got a handle on that, um, it is like putting a big bullseye on you. All right, because the world hated him first. And if you're truly saved, then you are a follow of him who the world already hated. All right, which means what? They're going to hate you. One of the things that I've seen that the church is trying to do is try to get people to like them. If you can like me, then you might like my Jesus. Okay? Um, ain't going to happen. Uh, do you understand? I was reading Charles Spurgeon lectures to my students, and he made a comment. He says, why is it that we want to be lifted on the shoulders of man and touted as heroes When they carried our Lord off on a cross. And if you look at quote unquote ministry right now. Isn't that what we're doing? Let me be the hero. 
Let me be, you know, let me publish a book or a method or something to this effect. You can't do it. You just can't do it. Do you really believe that you as a Christian have the ability to make lost people like you? You know, I... I was talking to a guy there in our community right now. Uh, church growth is the is it. OK, and y- you would not believe some. Of this. It's almost like they embrace this stuff and throw it on the wall and see what sticks. Um, and, and I and I listen to these people, pastors, and they all have these brilliant ideas. And I just sit there and I smile uh, because some of them, when we get together for prayer, they get really cool breakfast. Um, and so I don't, I want to at least eat. Um, and you know, and I told him, I said, well, I can grow the church on Sunday. And they said, well, I said, and the plan is infallible. You have an infallible plan. Yeah. Keg of beer, big screen TV, football. And then the guy steps up and says, Hey, we're doing fantasy football in our church men's group. I guess it wasn't an original idea, huh? I said, please tell me that you're not doing keggers. Oh, we're not. Well, I feel better already. But I watch people who are trying to embrace the world and make them like us. You know what? They hated our Lord. How are they going to like us? I mean, if I'm truly a follower of Jesus Christ, then there should be something that is different about me and the world. Okay, not only that, it should be obvious. Okay, and one of the things that I have seen the Apostle Paul teaches is that once you step into this venue, you're going to be overwhelmed by love. And in that love will pose problems. People won't like it. Okay. The definition of love that exists today in the United States is I love me and I'm going to cherish what you can do for me. That's love. And I don't care if that's in the the relationship between a husband and a wife, between parents and children, between churches and pastorates, whatever. That is, that's what's going on. And everybody can sit and tell me, well, that's not. No, that is. It absolutely is. Okay, been here long enough. I've seen it. It ain't going away. And, you know, it's, it's just amazing, to be honest with you. You know, because my response to a lot of people is, have you not read? Okay. And that's what I'm looking at here, because one of the accusations that had happened since Paul had left Corinth is he didn't really love you. He was there for his own benefit. That's the accusation that is implied in all in this text. Okay, that he doesn't love you. Okay, that it was purely for him. He's trying to make a name for himself. You know what? In some pulpits, that is absolutely true. Not Paul. Not the Apostle Paul. 
And so he starts here in verse 11 of chapter 6 to try to lay it out saying, you know, the way I would have wrote it, which is why God doesn't have me write scripture. is what were you thinking, morons? Okay, that's, I would have been more into the severe letter, letter that we don't have. Okay, he was with these people day and night for 18 months. He brought them the gospel through suffering. He took nothing from them. He earned his living and kept teaching and preaching day in and day out. Okay. And Corinth was a nasty, nasty place. And to have them accuse him of not loving them would make me want to call fire and brimstone down. I don't understand that. But yet I've watched churches in the past and that's exactly what we do. So what he does here in that outline that I gave you is basically loves 10 points. There's 10 things about love that when it is empowered by the spirit of the living God into the heart of a man or a woman or a child, these are non-negotiables. Now, if you go through your outline and say, well, you know, I got eight out of 10, you ain't there, which means that your ministry is ineffective. Please hear me. I'm, I'm trying to make this as gentle as possible. Okay. If you want to be effective in your ministry, you had better look at this and ask yourself, how do I line up? Because I got a serious question at the end of this message. All right. Love's 10 points. First, it's based on truth. 611. We opened our mouth, spoke to you freely. Out of the mouth speaks the heart. Paul says, the blood of innocent man is not on my hands. I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. So when people come to you, do you have God's response to whatever it is they're wanting to know? I mean, you know, people ask me silly questions sometimes. You know, do you know who's going to decorate the church? Uh, no. Well, why not? Not my job, man. <laughs> Because I know it ain't going to be me. You know, because people ask me, says, well, we ought to paint that. What color do you think we ought to paint it? White. Why? It's just easier. You know, I, I, it's stuff like that that, you know what? Now, if you want to ask me if I'm pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, I'm willing to discuss that. And I will tell you scripture why I believe that. Okay, And it's very simple. I do not believe there's a complication in that understanding. Though people say, well, how can you believe that? Easy, Romans 8.1. The church doesn't go through it. Why? Romans 8.1. Romans 8.1. Wait a minute. Why not Ezekiel or Daniel? Or... Romans 8.1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Them four ponies get out of the barn? That's condemnation. That doesn't seem like rocket science to me. Oh, but you don't understand. Well, no, I do understand. <laughs> when the horses are out of the barn, it's going downhill. And that is God turning loose wrath. Okay? There isn't any for Christians. So, and the other thing is, is that even if I'm wrong, I ain't going to last long because I ain't shutting up. And that means they'll kill me. So I'll go quick. I'll walk right up to Antichrist. Jesus died for your sins. And I'm out of here. See ya. Okay, these are things that I want you to be aware of. There are times that if you truly love somebody, you give them 
truth. I opened my mouth and spoke freely to you, O Corinthians. And in that context, then you see his heart is opened wide. It means my heart can embrace all of you all of the time. And you know what? Some are, you ever seen porcupine Christians? Huh? You know what I'm talking about? Cute as a button. Don't touch it. Okay? I mean, just darling, look at so, ooh, don't pet it. Okay? Because they've always got their quills up and they're always looking for something. Okay? Uh, those are the ones that have the wrinkled up foreheads. Cranky Christians. You're, you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Okay? You just love them to death. You're sitting there, God, I know a church you ought to be going to. <laughs> and it ain't this one. Okay, uh, but but you you know which ones I'm talking about because those are the ones you're like, man, whatever you got, I hope isn't contagious. All right, but I'm going to get people saved. Watch me. <laughs> okay, see ya. All right, but they're cute as a button, but you just don't want to. But you still have to keep your heart open wide. I have people who walk around this community, and it's, I, I think it's just a phenomenon because I've been here so long that will tell people in this town, I haven't seen them. In, well, we've moved up here, what, 11 years ago? 10 years ago? 10, year, 10 years ago, we moved into this building. And I have people that I haven't seen in this building running around town telling everybody I'm their pastor. Okay, and you're like, what? <laughs> you got to be kidding me. So I take, do you know I'm not in the pastorate anymore? <laughs> I like to do that. It freaks them out. <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't do that no more. Because <laughs> of people like you. No. <laughs> but when I think about this, you bring truth to bear. And, and, and I will. Sometimes when I run into these people, they say, you know, I remember a lady one time introduced me to her parents that this is my pastor. And I said, how can I be your pastor when I haven't seen you in 10 years? Okay. And I mean, it kind of freaks them out. But is that not truth? My heart's still open. But the truth of the matter is, it is hard to shepherd someone when you have no idea where they are. Okay? The other thing is affection. Chapter 6, verse 12. The affection has not been restrained by us, but it's you who restrain your own affections. Okay? One of the things about love, and I'm talking about godly love, is that it pours out for a response. Okay? And technically, the response should be reciprocated love. Okay? And now I'm talking about that overwhelming love stuff. I'm not talking about uh, icky sentimentalism. I'm, I'm talking about, you know what? This person is priority in my soul. Okay? That's what I'm talking about. And, and, and it says here, you're not restrained by us. Your affections are not restrained by us, by Paul and his group. You yourselves are confining. You are closing down. You are embracing it and pinching it off your affections, your affections. Because verse 13 now, in like exchange, I speak to you as children, open wide to us. Okay, 
There he goes again, back to the heart. Open wide to us. And like exchange, reciprocate it. Like what? Like a spiritual father to spiritual children. The spiritual children should, like exchange, to the degree the spiritual father loves the children, the children should love the spiritual father. Okay? He says, I set you an example. 18 months I was with you. You've seen it. You should reciprocate that. You should be mimicking that. It should be something that you see. But he also speaks of it in 7.2, first part there, to make room for us in your hearts. Make room for us in your hearts. See, this is where that we get into trouble. True love considers others more important than yourselves. As soon as you start thinking you're important, your heart gets crowded. Okay, and once you get your heart crowded, it just gets to be a bugger. I mean, you're going to have a, your hands full trying to get that thing open again. And you start closing off. And that's what he's saying. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because that's that oneness. Oneness as the father is to the children, as the children should be to the father. Open your hearts to us. Which brings me to purity, the second part of 7-2. We wronged no one. We corrupted no one. And we took advantage of no one. And he's just bringing it back to their attentions. I've been with you. You know this. I haven't corrupted you. I haven't wronged you. I haven't taken advantage of you. You know this. Because, see, true love says you're more important. And if you're more important to me, then how can I take advantage of you? See, when you take advantage or you corrupt or you wrong somebody, who's the important one in that situation? You are. And as soon as you put self in the way, guess what? It all goes south. It all goes south. And that's what he's saying is, you know what? We haven't done that. We were there as servants to you. Which brings us to humility. Third part of verse 2. It took advantage of no one. See, to do that is a humble person. I'm not looking at it for what's in it for me. See, I see this on a regular basis. Okay, uh, it, it, it's it's pride. It's pride. The pulpit is not immune to it. The church is not immune to it. And yet, I also know that the Bible says pride goes before the fall. You look around you right now. Everywhere you look, it's what pride. Take pride in. I don't know. Think of something. Think of something. And when you run into somebody who's humble, and I'm not talking about, I had a guy come to me one time said, I'm proud of my humility. And I'm like, well, I'm happy for you. Okay. I, what are you going to tell them? I, well, Yahoo, let's blow the trombone. Okay. I, but when you run into somebody who's truly humble, it's amazing because it's so odd. I mean, to be honest with you, it's, it's odd. You just, what? Her interview with the uh, quarterback of uh, 
Kansas State. I can't remember his name. Okay. Uh, he just got married. Okay. And he made a statement that they were interviewing him. It was one of the sports shows I was listening to. Um, and um, they're saying, well, are you looking at the Heisman? Well, no, not really, sir. Kept calling this interviewer, sir. Okay, well, you know, you're number two in the nation, and do you? Uh, well, no, no, not really, sir. We just try to make each play, and everybody wants to try to do their best. And, you know, we have 16 things that we're trying to challenge ourselves to, and one of them that we're trying to challenge ourselves to is that, am I a better student than I was yesterday? And he keeps pushing this guy. And he said, well, I heard you got married. And he said, yes, yes sir, I, I got married. A very lovely woman. And he says, well, there's some blogs going on out there that says, you never kissed her until the day of the wedding. Is that true? Uh, yes, sir, that, that's true. Uh, truthfully, sir, uh, we never even went on a date. And you're like, what? Okay, and he says, uh, and then he says, well, what is your, what's the focus of you? He says, uh, my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sir. And you're just sitting there going, and, and you, you tell that the interviewer was like, what kind of idiot is this? He never went on a date. He never kissed her. You know, and, and I don't want to hear the used car thing. Okay, because that's what everybody says. Well, you know, you need to try it out first. Really? Not to what the Bible teaches. But I get these kinds of things, and you, and you listen to this, but you could hear in this kid, he's legit. Because whenever he could say, my number one priority, is it to play in the BCS championship? No, it's to serve my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, but what? No, it's for the glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You didn't date her, it was for the glory of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you're sitting there going, dude... <laughs> I don't think you're going to sway him. All right, so now all of a sudden I'm a Kansas State fan. Well, sort of. I still like Buckeyes. But anyway. <laughs> but they're not allowed to play in a tournament ever again, so I'll go with Kansas State. <laughs> uh, but but see, the, these are the things you sit and you hear that, and you're like, this kid's real. This is, this is legitimate stuff here. And it freaks us out. Because true humility is so bright in this dark, prideful world that it just stands out. And you sit there and go, whoa, whoa. And and I want to give you a little asterisk on this. I've had people who say I am arrogant because of the way I preach. Okay, Um, whatever. I preach... Because by the time I walk up here for this, I am absolutely confident in what this says. And I don't care what you do. I don't care what you call me. I don't care what you say. You're not moving me. It's that simple. Well, you can't. I'm telling you. That's what it says. Okay. Now, so please understand. There's a difference between confidence and. Okay, I don't get my messages on Friday. Okay, my messages is over what? Almost nine years of reading 2 Corinthians daily. Okay, I sort of got it figured out. (laughs) But I'm still a little gun shy of it. Which brings me to forgiveness. We do not speak to condemn you. We do not speak these things to make you a judgment on you. Because again, what does he say? I have said before. You are in my heart. You're in my heart. Why? My heart is wide open to you. 
Okay, listen, the Apostle Paul is one of the first ones who'll stand up and say, what you're doing is sinful. Okay, but he's also the first one who will put his arm around you and say, I will help you walk out of it. Okay, and and I I even mentioned that in my Sunday school class this morning. Um, We have a tendency to want to point out people's sins. Okay. It's just, we're good at it. Why? Well, it's easier to look at yours than it is mine. All right. And it is my responsibility as a brother in Christ that if I think what you're doing is sinful, then I'm going to say, hey, I think that's sinful. Okay. Here's the second part. And this is the one I told you this morning that will cause me and you more grief than you ever dreamed of. You stand in that realm that you're willing to point out a brother or sister's sin, then you have to pick up that sin and bear that burden. And Galatians 6 says, You who are spiritual see a brother in any trespass, what? You bear that burden. And it literally means that you got a donkey who's got such a load on its back that it's about to give out. Its legs are about to crumble underneath it. And you have to get under that donkey and lift it up until it can bear that burden. So, if you want to point out the sin, amen, get under the donkey. And you stay under the donkey until that donkey can walk in its own strength. If you're not willing to do that, keep your mouth shut. Okay? And as you can tell by my tone... I have seen that so misexercised that there's nothing more that peeves me off than that. All right? And if you're going to stand in it, then stand under it. And you help them with that load. If you can't help them with that load, shh. Oh, and by the way, don't come and tell me about it. All right? Because I'll give you a load. (laughs) Here, try carry this. Anyway, which brings me to what I wanted to talk about. Together. This is a fascinating phrase. He says, you are in our hearts. Okay. My heart is open wide to you. He's made mention of that. But he makes this statement to die together and to live together. You're in our hearts. Die together or live together. You know, I used to have a, a crazy uncle. I know that we've all had him. Uh, guy was a trip. I mean, if you ever got into a knife fight, you want Carl with you. It's my crazy uncle. But I tell you what. He was the most loyal person you could ever believe. To the point of death. Okay. Uh, he had a couple of bubbles off a of plum, but that's, you would never find anyone more loyal. I read this and love is so loyal. It's, it's so one. It's so together. It can't be separated. Okay. It, it's like, uh, We are one with Christ. 
And if you looked at it, we are united with Christ. And it literally means that the ingredients of our souls now can never be separated. Okay? It, 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 there is a oneness between a child of God and God that is impossible. What in creation can separate a Christian from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Paul is trying to tell the Corinthians, you are in my heart to the death. To the death. That's the to get together that I'm trying to, to articulate. It's a, you know, I guess you just smile. It's a permanent deal. It's not fickled. Love is not fickled. It is. You've heard this statement till death. Do we part according to this? Not even then. Not even then. That love is so together that even after death, the heart is still open wide to the other. I was going through some history stuff. Uh, There are some ancient writings of this age, um, and it meant to live together or to die together. And it had to do with the loyalty of a, a friendship. Um, what is spoken here? Um, King Saul's son, Jonathan. Okay. His togetherness with David. Remember he took the vow? No matter what happens, you will always be my brother. Okay. And, and even when Saul and Jonathan were killed, um, David ran around and tried to gather up the relatives. Remember he gets the crippled kid to sit at the king's table. I can't say his name. That's that's why I don't teach the Old Testament. They got weird names. Okay? It it has to do with the involved in this friendship that is a a loyalty, a togetherness that can't be moved. Okay? Uh, It's sustained that they are so bound to each other, they are willing to die for the relationship. You ever thought about that? We have that in our mind. The great evangelistic mindset. I'm shaking the dust off my feet. Okay. Now Paul could have, should have done that to the Corinthians. And what a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet that ain't what he said. We will live together. We will die together. Why? Our heart is so open to you. That nothing is going to break that bond. Jesus said it this way. There is no greater love than this. Than a friend lay his life down for the other. If um, the ladies remember studying Ruth and Esther. What do you speak of Ruth's devotion to Naomi? Couldn't be moved. Couldn't be swayed. Couldn't be pushed, could not be broken, could not be scattered. It was bound. It was universal and it didn't really matter what happened. Death can't even break it. Even after death, there's this wide open heart for the other. I think it was Linsky said, it is the cement of love. It just grabs it and it holds it. It's firm, unwaverable. And you know what? These crazy Corinthians. Paul's out of town. He's 
He's gone over to Ephesus. He's planning a church. The false come crawling in. They want to discredit Paul so that they will buy their, their false teachings. Okay, it's been the pattern throughout history. The true teacher is there. God moves him on or takes him home. And the false stroll in and they immediately try to discredit the teacher. And when they do that, their ears listen just enough. And you know what happens? Their love grows cold. And you know what? They eventually sway off and they follow the new. I have seen this so many times. People will come in, they get their hair up, and they will start trying to gather allies so we can turn against the true teacher. Let me get some people. Let me bring an accusation. And you guys have seen it. You don't have to be true. It's the seriousness of the accusation. Well, what if? And all I can think of is how shallow is that? How they're missing. You are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Listen, real love hangs on to the end, even to the point of death, because the relationship is more important than even death. What the Corinthians were showing is not real love. They were listening. They were listening to the accuser of the Apostle Paul. Let me ask you a question. This is the serious question. You love that way? Do you love like that? In our hearts, you are in our hearts to die together. Or to live together. Now listen. I want you to think about those two, that question. Do you love that way? Okay. Now you can do that with your wife. Or your husband. You can do that with your children. Right? Even your parents. Right? What about Friends. What about Christians? What about your pastor? Do you love that way? Your heart is open wide to die together or to live together. It is more important that the relationship is bound than anything that I would want. See, now it's easy to do it with your family. Start moving out of that circle and see what happens. Because see, Paul's doing it with these Corinthians and these people. Have you ever thought about that? A love that is so strong, nothing can sever it. That's what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. I remember reading uh, Spurgeon in his uh, lectures to my students. He made a statement in one of his lectures. Should I fall into sin? Hand me over to the barkeeps and the whores. They will have more mercy and grace and compassion than the church. 
That's a tragedy. That is an absolute tragedy. Listen, I think about the Corinthian church, and if any group had the right to be rejected by the Apostle Paul, (laughs) Corinthians can step up. Let me give you some text to think about. He's already written to these people. He could reject the Corinthians, but he understood love can't do it. Think about this. Verse 13, chapter 13, 1 Corinthians. Now faith, hope, and love abide these three. Okay, the word abide is remains. Okay, so no matter what's going on, because he makes it out, he says, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I also have been fully known. Okay, that, that phrase right there just freaks me out. I'm going to know God the way God knows me. I'm going to have a headache. <laughs> okay. But then he makes this. But now. Okay. When the, it all comes at some point, which would be death, the physical death. Because then I'm absent from the body. I'm present with the Lord. I have none of the restraints of the flesh. Look at what he says. But now, meaning that I'm still in the body, I have faith, hope, and love. These remain. That's what, it says, abide these three. Okay, but the greatest of these is what? Love. Why? Well, if I'm absent from the body and I'm present with the Lord, I really don't need a lot more faith, do I? He's standing there in front of me. Okay, I'm not really going to be running on a lot of hope because, you know, dude, look. (laughs) Here we are. But the greatest of these is Love, because I only have to remain in that for eternity. It's kind of cool. It's kind of cool, which is kind of mind-boggling for me, because I watch Christians who are very reserved with their love, and I'm thinking, but that's the one thing that remains. And if you're not practicing it here, well, you're going to have a pain when you get there. Because if you back up, Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Love does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. And the key to it is, it does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into an account a wrong suffer. Anybody here got a notebook? Of wrongs suffered? I know a whole bunch of people swear up and down they don't have it, but I watch them and say, really? Not only do you have, you've got it on a hard drive in your computer. And yet the greatest of these is love. Why? We have to grab this because understand when the perfect comes. The perfect comes means I'm out of this container. I don't have this no more. I don't have any need for faith. I don't have any need for hope. But I will exist in absolute perfect love, knowing God as he knows me. Then I will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And the tragedy is you have that ability now. Every single one of you. Not I'm not talking about loving your kids or your spouse. 
I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Even the cute little porcupine ones. You open your heart wide. What's the boundary of God's love? What's the boundary of your love? If you run around with that little notebook, I'm telling you what, they cut me off in traffic. You never get there. And you know what? You'll never be an effective minister. And I use the word never because you never will be. You're trying to do it in your own strength. And you know what? You'll run into every silly porcupine Christian that exists and you can't understand why they all hurt. And I can tell you why they all hurt because you haven't bowed your knee to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You can confess with your mouth. But you know what? It is seen in the day-to-day grind. Together, open your heart. Why? To even very dying in the end. Don't love if you're not together. That is the togetherness. You can't do it unless you're together. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to us here. Read it again. You are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Take it outside of your comfort zone. You've got to take it outside of the family. You know, I love my brother. I love my mom. Okay. All right. Move it over and over. Well, I love my wife. I love my kids. Move it on out. Well, I got a granddaughter. She's the apple of grandpa's eye. Okay. I mean, she's sitting and watch the NLCS with me. Flip back and forth. Football, baseball. Football, baseball. Sitting right there like this. I'm thinking... She ain't got a clue what I'm doing. <laughs> but you know what? I'm like, good kid there now. Got your grandpa's genes. All right? Now move it on out. Move it on out. How do you love your friends? How do you love other Christians? Are you seeking your own? Move it on out. How do you love the pastor? Are you seeking your own? I know people who walk out and say, well, you know, every time I listen to you preach, you convict me. I'm out of here. Well, that's got to be my fault. You see what I'm trying to get at? This is amazing. I read this phrase here, just this little small phrase in the whole context of four Corinthian letters. I stand in awe because if I was Paul, I'd be, Lord, can I get me some fire and brimstone? Because these guys are boneheads. I look at what they were accusing the Apostle Paul of and what they were willing to be deceived and how quickly it happened. I keep thinking, how in the world can he love them? And yet the supernatural love of God poured into the Apostle Paul's heart by the spirit of the living God said, this is easy. Doesn't say it doesn't hurt. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is, If you're going to be an effective servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must do it in truth, affection, oneness, purity, humility, forgiveness, and togetherness. Okay? Just for your information, simple question is, do you love like that? Okay? We'll close with prayer. Father, thank you for your word.
Thank you for the amazing things that uh, our brother Paul went through. And yet, Father, you were his comfort, you were his counsel. And Father, uh, even today as we stand here as Gentiles, we are fruit of this man. Father, beginning with me, search my heart, my soul, that I may love the way the Apostle Paul loves. Father, not favorites, but love them all. Father, may our hearts be open wide. May our hearts be open wide. And may the glory of Jesus Christ be seen in each of us as we love as the Apostle Paul loves, as Jesus loved us. May that be seen to your glory and praise. Amen.